I want to talk to you about mothering, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're you're mothering one here, but you're also mothering three more long distance. Long distance. What is it like to mother long distance? Hmm. It's it's uh, of course it's a challenge. Um, it's, and especially there, so there's two 25-year-old sons, and then our daughters turned 21 today. So they're, you know, they're in a stage of life where they're trying to figure things out, you know, finishing school, working, um, you know, living on their own. Um, so it can be, it can be stressful, and I, you know, I just try to make myself available to them. How did they feel when you all made the announcement mm -hmm. that you were leaving the country? So they'd heard us, you know, talking about it for a number of years. It was it was difficult. It was difficult in that we're in a sense still repairing. Welcome to Black Center Africa. I am so excited to have my very good friend here with me, Kimiko Campbell. And Kimiko is originally from Brooklyn, New York. Is that right? So I was <laughs> born in Philadelphia, but raised in New York. So I was raised in New York from the age of five. Okay. Mm -hmm. Born in Philly, raised in New York. Right. And then as an adult, moved back to Philly. Moved back to Philly when I got married, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So full circle. Kimiko is actually one of my closest friends here in Nairobi, Kenya. And I really wanted to have her on because... She's not only a mom, but she's a wife. And I know plenty of women here who are mothers and are unmarried or vice versa. So today we're going to talk about these things. And the purpose of this show is really to encourage people of African descent to return to the motherland. Whether you're like myself and you've been separated from the continent for centuries or, you know, you're someone else who's working, who's going to school, but who should really bring their talents back to the continent. Mm -hmm. So let's dive in. Tell the people about yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, as you mentioned, I'm uh, from New York, so I definitely represent Brooklyn. Uh, Brooklyn! Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I grew up in New York um, with uh, my parents. My father's a musician. So moving to New York was uh, really important for his career. Um, and then also, I think my parents were really interested in just me being in diverse cultures. Um, I was a dancer for a long time. Um, I attended the high school of uh, performing arts, the fame school. So that was an exciting time to be in New York and to dance. And oh, you went to the fame school? I went to oh my God, school. how come I'm just now finding this out? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes. So wait, um, let's stop for a minute because there may be people who are watching who don't know about fame. Right. So I knew about fame growing up on the West Coast because of a TV show. Right. And Janet Jackson was like an actor on it, but it was a performing arts school, and the whole show was structured around these students. Mm -hmm. Debbie Allen was one of the dance teachers. Right. But their their access to fame and their learning their craft, and then sometimes they would leave and like leave the show and leave the school and go. It was, I loved that show. It wasn't a musical. 
It, uh, yeah, for a short while it was a musical. Um, and I too, you know, grew up watching a show. Okay. And then my father being a musician, he had watched the show. Okay. And um, he grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, so he always wanted to go to this school. Oh, wow. So um, that might have been part of his plan of, me, of us moving to New York. Um, oh. But so when I took an interest in dance, you know, that was just kind of the goal. It's just like, we have to get you into this school. Oh my gosh, Kamiko, uh, yeah. I did not know. This is, this is a big deal. Um, so that also explains why you and I are friends too, because I also went to performing arts school, but my thing was drama. Oh, really? <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> okay, so my majors were drama and also uh, the choir. I was in the choir. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, after high school, um, I wanted to study journalism. I spent some time in school and then I changed my major, um, became a mother, um, and I worked in software sales um, on Wall Street for a few years until I met my husband. And um, he's from Philadelphia, made the move, the transition to Philly, um, and that started a whole new life. A blended family. I had a child. My husband had two children, um, and so I spent a number of years just developing that. You know, trying to nurture this new family um, in Philadelphia. I just want to um, go back a little bit. Mm -hmm. You became a mother at what age? Twenty-one. Girl, you was young. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, I was young. I was in college. Um, living with my boyfriend, you know, okay. playing house. Wait, you was living with your boyfriend <laughs> in college? <laughs> Look at the yes. tea. <laughs> I mean, it's decades old tea, but it's still tea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, we were living together and I became a mother. Um, and soon after I became a mother, I, I decided I had to put school on hold for a bit. Um, you know, and eventually went back and finished, but yeah, I took motherhood very serious. Very I like serious. that. My mom had me when she was 21, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My mother, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my mother, too. Look, I could have became a mother at uh, 17, but mm -hmm. that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. Okay, we'll do. We'll have to do an episode on reproductive rights at some point. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 But, yeah, so... Uh, now you're here, okay? No, you have a son. How's your son now? So I have two sons. We actually, let's say, I have four beautiful children. Yes, she does. Yes. <laughs> four beautiful children, two sons that I birthed. Um, and actually, our daughter's birthday is today. She's 21. Oh, wow. so, yeah, happy birthday, Jordy. Um, but yes, our youngest son is here with us. Um, it's our our baby together. He's 14. Yeah. Yes, Chike. Chike. Chike Masai. Really? I had no idea. Yeah, we'd end up in Kenya, but his name is Masai. I'm learning so much <laughs> with this interview. So Chike, Chike um, doesn't really talk much to me, mm -hmm. right? He's shy at first. Um, but he's growing into, he's going to grow into a teenager in mm -hmm. Africa, it looks mm -hmm. like. So we're really proud of him. Yeah, he's. I'm happy to have him here. I mean, that was the whole purpose was to, one of the main reasons also, to, to leave the States. 
um, and to move to Africa, was, you know, bringing him here, um, just wanting him to be safe, wanting him to have the space to, to grow, you know, and to feel nurtured and um, without the heaviness of, you know, being judged just on his appearance. Um, so mm -hmm. Kenya has been really great for him for that. So you have a, a son who's 20, your oldest son is how old? 25. He's 25. Chike is 14. Mm -hmm. What was it like raising your oldest son um, in the U.S.? Hmm. Um, I was, I'm a very protective mom, so um, <clears throat> unfortunately, because we lived in Philadelphia, his father lived in New York, a lot of his, um, his childhood was, you know, spent going back and forth between the two cities, you know, on the weekends. Um, but it's just, it's, I mean, I'm not going to minimize it. Mm -hmm. For people who don't know, it's a two-hour drive? It's a two-hour drive, right? And for a period, we would, you know, I would make that ride with him. Um, and then as he got older, we were able to put him, you know, on a bus or a train um, to, you know, to go to New York on his own. Um, and the train is an hour? The train, about, yeah, an hour. Okay. Hour and a half. Um, so, you know, I did have my concerns, but now that I think about it, looking back, um, I don't know if I could do that now. I, you know, especially he started at 12, traveling by himself. Um, now, I don't, you know, just with oh. the uptick of, you know, violence, yeah. it seems, um, I'm not sure that I would feel comfortable. So, it's interesting that you said the uptick in violence. And I'm wondering, I don't know the statistics, but I'm wondering if there really has been an increase in violence or if we're just more aware of it because of the technology we have in our pockets. Absolutely. Actually, now that you mention it, I, th I agree with that. I think that um, we are just more aware, you know, things are, are instantaneous, you know, we, an incident happens and it's on the internet immediately. Immediately. And you see it worldwide. Um, so I, I, I do believe, you know, things, haven't just started to, to change, you know. There isn't just an uptake. It's it's been happening, and um, I think yeah. Had I known, I probably would have even been a lot more concerned um, than I was. But I mean, even now he's twenty five, and um, we have conversations now where you know he'll let me know that he's he's been in a car with his friends, and you know how many times they've been pulled over, and you know. Sitting on the side of the curb, you know, detained for, for no reason. And he's like, Mom, I didn't want to tell you. I didn't want you, you know, to be worried. But for no, mm. for no reason. And this has been happening reason. since he was in high school. Are you serious? Never told me. Didn't, didn't want me to be worried. How many times has he told you that this sort of thing has happened to him? Um, At least three or four times. Damn. Yeah, at least three or four times. That's, that's. A lot, and it just doesn't happen to boys. Wow. But this is what we deal with in America, and mm -hmm. I don't have children. For me, it was a relatively conscious choice. But when I was thinking of being a mother, I knew I did not want to have a son in the U.S. Mm -hmm. 
I knew I didn't want to raise my kids in the U.S., but specifically having a son just because of what I had witnessed through my dad. Mm -hmm. And also, if I'm to be keep it a buck, I lived in Southern California. I grew up in Southern California, so there's a lot of um, first-generation immigrants, Latin population from Mexico, Central America, and a little bit from South America. Mm -hmm. And I would see how they would just be discriminated against. We'd mm -hmm. all be walking to a football game, like everybody, mm -hmm. and then the police would just go and harass the Latinos. Wow. And then they would be sitting on the curb, mm -hmm. handcuffed for no reason. And then they would let them go. Mm -hmm. You know, what I mean? it was just a lot that I witnessed growing up. Mm -hmm. So you raised your first son in the states, right? So we have um, we have two sons, and they're the exact same age. Um, so Rashawn has his right. His, okay, his, uh, his biological son. Um, so we have two boys that we're raising. You know, um, going to two different schools, and just you know the stress of you know are they okay out here on the streets? Um, and unfortunately, mm. Rashawn and I we. We had the desire to move and to, to leave the U.S., but, you know, given that we were a Brady Bunch family, you know, we didn't have that opportunity to just pick them up and to take them, um, you know, to leave the country. So with our youngest, with Chike, it's, you know, we're like, look, we have this opportunity. Um, he's ours. You know, we can take him wherever. Um, and we really want him to be safe. We want him to have an opportunity to just thrive, you know. And believe it or not, um, our first few years in China, he really had an opportunity to do that there. Most people would, would never, you know, think that you would feel a sense of freedom and safety, but China was a safe place for him. Yes. I want to rewind a little bit because I'm talking about Rashawn, but mm -hmm. I need to let everybody know Rashawn is the homie, also her <laughs> husband, right. who, Rashawn is born and raised in Philly. Born and raised in Philly. Born and, right. He's a Philly dude. Mm -hmm. Like, you can Philly see, dude. when you see him on the streets in Nairobi, you can see, like, he's a Philly dude. And uh, Rashawn had two children from a previous relationship. Mm -hmm. And you had one child from a right. previous relationship. Chike is a child that you have together. And you guys have a blended family. Correct. Yes. The, I like how you said it's a Brady Bunch family. Yeah. <laughs> and so they also lived in China before coming to Nairobi. Right. Yeah. Right. Was that the only other international um, living experience that you had prior to Kenya? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. We left... Um, I mean, like I said, we desired to move for a really long time. Um, and it was always just trying to figure out when was the right time to go. Um, and ultimately, we decided once our boys were uh, ready for college, might be a good time to go. Um, so 2016, we prepared, you know, it was, let's do this. Let's, you know, sell the house, sell everything in it. Every, you know, it's, it's time to go. Um, and at that time, we were both looking for jobs, um, just what, you know, what weren't finding opportunities. Um, and then a coworker of my husband's at the time 
mentioned her friend that was teaching English and she's like have you considered that hmm. um, and so um, we both became certified you know to teach and started applying and then there was just a breadth of you know a wealth of, of opportunities available to us so we um, we chose China yeah in 2016 okay yeah so was it just Rashawn or were you both teaching in China he was teaching because we weren't sure about um, homeschooling or you know school situations for our son um, he took a job teaching business English um, and I homeschooled the first year okay yeah all right so I have so many questions about China mm, yeah now I've never been to Asia and one of the reasons why I haven't gone is because I think I'm fearful. Like I'm, I'm fearful of being otherized. Mm -hmm. I've encountered Chinese mm -hmm. in airports and in international airports, and I've heard about how they want to see if your skin rubs off, and they want to take, they definitely want to take pictures with you, etc. But what was your experience like in China? We had a beautiful experience in China. Um, I certainly watched tons of videos and, you know, heard of different people's experiences and concerns um, in terms of racism and being accepted. Um, <clears throat> we were welcomed with open arms. Um, I have many beautiful Chinese friends to this day, you know, that I still speak with. Um, and I really hope to get back to China one day to see them. So y'all left. China, what prompted, what prompted that? That actually was not um, by choice. We, um, we were in between, Rashawn was leaving um, the international school that he was working at, his contract had ended, and we were looking for new positions. Um, I had been teaching with a um, after school program, teaching English. So we were both looking for, for new jobs. Um, and every summer we would take the time to go back to the States to be with our kids, to spend time with family. And so we packed up our apartment um, that was provided by the school so we could no longer stay there. Um, we packed up our apartment, we had a dog, um, and we put him in a kennel and we said, we're just gonna go to the States for the summer and we'll come back. Um, so of course, while we're there, uh, the pandemic starts in China first. And um, we really wanted to, to go back. Um, you know, we continue to look for jobs. Um, we actually were fortunate to be hired by a French international school in Shanghai. We were, so we were excited for the move. Um, but just getting a visa during that time was very difficult. China had closed the borders. Um, and so what we thought would be just a few weeks became months. And so we were stuck, as we say, in the U.S. during that time. Um, so things were starting to, to pick up with the school and, you know, the visa situation. But there was something in us that was like, maybe this is the time to go to Africa. Maybe, hmm. you know, China was comfortable, you know. Um, everything's taken care of you know it's, it's an easy living like I said we really enjoyed we had great friends um, but there was something that was like maybe this is just the time to go and 
we need to go, you know, go on faith. There was no job waiting. There was no security, you know. Um, Y'all left a business behind, too. Oh, well, well, not really behind, but you started a business in We China. started an e-commerce business while we were in China, which we still have today. Um, so we did have that, um, for sure. But um, we, you know, we didn't have a... a a steady, you know, a job here that was going to provide housing or, you know, any of those other perks. Um, so we, yeah, we said, you know what, this is the time. We were actually looking for a virtual assistant at that time. And we were interviewing people and we met a sister that uh, lives here in Nairobi and we ended up hiring her. And um, of course, a friendship, you know, blossomed and she's telling us about her city, her country. And, um, it just kind of all worked, came together, you know, it just worked out. Did you both have that pull to come to Africa? Um, I, I'd say it was more, to, for Africa specifically, it was more so Rashawn. Um, I just loved to travel. I was willing to go anywhere um, outside the U.S. Um, but I, Africa, I mean, there was a pull for me as well. You know, especially with our son, wanting him to be someplace where, you know, he would just fit in. Um, unlike China, where it did have its challenges when it came to that. Um, but yeah, the pull, the pull was there. Yeah, Africa was always the destination. So you guys moved to Nairobi about two years ago. Right. Okay, Almost I think we came ago. here at about the same time because I arrived... Last year in February, when did you come? We came November of uh, 2019. Why? Okay, so Nairobi, because of the uh, virtual assistant. Right. She lived, she lived here in Nairobi. Um, I think also when you have a child and, you know, a child is, you know, become going into those teen years, um, there's certain lifestyle and standard you know you want to have certain amenities and activities and access to things for them um Rashawn and I are really simple we could we be at the coast you keep saying that I know <laughs> yeah yeah and, and y'all got each other right you know what I mean right. like we're not gonna have a conversation about dating in Nairobi which is like <laughs> all my all my episodes typically go in that direction. Mm -hmm. So you guys have each other. Y'all could be at the coast and be buns and be, happy. And be bored. Right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Where I'd be like, okay, this ocean is nice, but... <laughs> that, that was our son. He was like, okay, there's the beach, and then what? What am I going to do? Is there a movie theater? Is there, what, what am I going to do? Where are the activities? And we actually tried. Our first six months, we went to the coast. We did a whole little tour. Checking out all the different towns. And for six months? Did no, that. no, during our first six months. Okay. We went for two weeks. Um, and he was just like, it's beautiful, but what am I going to do? There's nothing to do here. Um, so how does how does Chike feel now? Now? Um, in Nairobi, because, you know, you we are in the city. We live in the same neighborhood. Mm -hmm. um, there's not as much, there's not as much here for teens, mm -hmm. for adults even, as there is in the States. In the States. There's definitely a difference, yeah. Okay. But um, he's been able to, you know, he's, he's satisfied, you know, with what is available. Okay. Um, you know, there's there's paintball, there's um, 
mini golf now. So there's lots of activities. And um, I think the biggest thing is finding his tribe once he, he found and he's finding a few friends, you know, and just have things to do and activities. Um, he's coming along. I know he's he got his along. boys, right? He's still got his boys, which is it's a pretty international crew. Um, there's the building where we live. There's just a nice mixture of Kenyan families and expat families. So there's a, a nice mix of right. kids. I think it's so interesting that his middle name is Masai. I know. Right, because I have we have another mutual friend whose mm -hmm. son's first name is Masai, okay. and this mutual friend is in Kenya. Y'all wound up in Kenya. It's it's almost like you spoke that mm -hmm. spoke that mm -hmm. over their lives. Absolutely, yeah. Now I want to talk to you about mothering, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're you're mothering one here, but you're also mothering three more. Long distance. Long distance. What yes. is it like to mother long distance? Mm. It's it's uh, of course it's a challenge. Um, it's and especially there. So there's two 25 year old sons, and then our daughter who's turning 21 today. So they're you know they're in a stage of life where they're trying to figure things out. You know, finishing school, working, um, you know, living on their own. Um, so it can be it can be stressful, and I you know I just try to make myself available to them. Um, my oldest son we probably speak um, at least four to five you know days a week. Mm -hmm. every, you know I I will say almost every day, um, which is good. You know so we 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 stay connected. I know what's going on in his life. I know what's going on just that day. Um, and, um, you know, just try to do my best to still be a mom, give advice, you know, help them sort things out. Um, but it has been challenging. It has been. How did they feel when you all made the announcement mm -hmm. that you were leaving the country? So they heard us, you know, talking about it for a number of years. Um, I think, um, you know, once they, they saw that we were serious and we started, you know, cleaning up the house, getting rid of things, um, and, and really preparing, um, it, it really set in. Um, it was it was difficult. It was difficult in that we're, in a sense, still repairing. You know, there definitely was some trauma that we didn't expect. Um, and I think it was also the timing because they were going, they were leaving home and going to college. And um, that first summer, you know, back after college, there was no home. There wasn't our home. Um, and we, you know, we thought that they have their other parents. They have, you know, they have other homes. They, they'll have a home base. But what we learned is that they really felt like our home was was home um, and it was taken away from them so that has been difficult and we, we continue to work through that yeah 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 and what is it like to mother in a country that's really not your own I mean I would imagine that there's a learning curve hmm. because you're you're learning where your resources are mm-hmm 
education, et cetera. Can you talk to us about that? Um, I mean, you definitely have to be, um, I'm learning to be even more resourceful than I've been in the past. Like, you know, you really have to get out and uh, get into chats, you know, meet people, um, find out, you know, who's homeschooling, what programs they're using, what activities, how, you know, you can get involved in. Um, so it takes a lot of research um, mm -hmm. and definitely a lot of networking. Um, and especially, you know, depending on your your interest and your intentions for your child. Mm -hmm. um, you know, many expat families, I think, go to the international schools and, you know, it's just kind of plug in. My kid goes to school, they've got friends, everything's there. Um, I'm kind of, you know, everything's a little out of cart. So I've got friends here, friends here, activities, and, you know, um, trying to pull a lot of different things together to create, you know, something good for him. So um, mothering, I mean, it's it definitely, it takes a lot of outreach. You just have to kind of get out there and connect with people. You homeschool Chike. We are doing a combination. Okay. So we've um, we've been following an American online curriculum, um, as well as uh, we've plugged into a homeschool group here that meets um, once a week. So he has an opportunity to take um, courses like um, last year was uh, debate and um, literature, um, African literature. Nice. And also uh, this year is exploring Africa um, and a continuation of African literature. So those are classes, of course, that you wouldn't get with the American curriculum. So that's why, you know, getting out and really networking and talking to people and finding out what's, what's available, what's important. I like that. Those courses sound like something I would actually want to take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that I didn't know living in the U.S., born and raised, is that there are these American schools all mm -hmm. over the globe. Mm -hmm. French, German, mm -hmm. Spanish, mm -hmm. you know, you name it, all over the globe. And they have a chokehold. <laughs> they have a chokehold on these countries because mm -hmm. a lot of people whether it's their home country or their expats, um, diplomats, temporary workers, they don't have faith in their country, their local country's education system. Right. So they'll plug into these international schools. Mm -hmm. And I've never taught there. I don't have any children there, but I have friends that have taught in these schools. And I have friends that have their children in these schools. And they are bloody expensive. They are. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 a year and okay. or more. Mm -hmm. And it's like what are you getting for that amount? Mm -hmm. What what are you getting for that amount? And I don't think that the education is that I don't think it's worth it. Right. Right. So you guys have decided not to send Chike to an international school, which is pretty typical of expats. Right. Why is that? Um, so my experience um, with international schools uh, started in China, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, Rashawn was teaching at a, an international school. Um, as you said, 
many of the schools are extremely expensive. Girl. Um, I think at that time, the school was maybe 35000 a year. Um, Which that's school? In, in China. In Girl, thirty five for one child. And they're supposed to give mm -hmm. you little discounts if you have multiple children. But right. they bank on... They bank on the fact that your corporation, your organization, is going to cover that. Which, if you're a diplomat, mm -hmm. that's typically what happens. Exactly. The kids go to school for free. Right, right, right. So I think that that contributes to that high price as well because mm -hmm. they feel that it's an automatic. You know, it's given to to the employee, and so you know, it's an easy, um, you know, it's an easy money maker for them. Mm -hmm. um, so. I what I noticed um, in China um, was just that a lot of you know these schools um, there was still a culture that a culture of privilege a culture um, of how do I say I just felt like these kids lived in a bubble you know it was kind of like these are my entitlement entitlement right. <laughs> Um, and they stayed in that bubble, you know, and yeah. this, this expat bubble, this bubble of, you know, um, everything is just provided and, you know, they didn't really blend into the, the culture of the country that they're in. Um, so that was something I definitely didn't want for GK. Um, and I think I, I'm kind of getting a sense of that here as well. Um, and now that he's 14, he's entering high school. Um, I just really fear that I call it that Western culture that I'm trying to get away from. It, it exists, and I don't want him to to be a part of that. Um, so I've you know I've done my research. I've talked to lots of parents, um, you know, of teenagers. I've talked to previous teachers that have worked here, um, just in a, on an international school scheme. On some of them, I, I can't obviously say every school is like this, but. Um, there are a lot of concerns with drugs and sex and, um, you know, all the things that you want to keep your child away from. Yeah, yeah. Um, things that I wanted to keep him away from in the U.S. are, you know, in those environments as well. For sure. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm still, you know, he's, he's starting to voice that he wants to go to school. You know, I think it's more the socialization, but we just have to find that balance. One of the things that I admire about Kimiko is that she has been able to break free of the expat bubble. <laughs> That's one of the things that we lament about is you get stuck. Mm. And especially when you are, you know, earning your income from abroad and you're right. not in a in a professional setting in Kenya. You have managed to establish friendships with other Kenyans, with re really you got a whole international crew. So that leads me to the next thing I want to talk to you about is happiness and joy. Hmm. Have you been able to find that here? Hmm. Um, I think in pockets, you know, there's definitely like you, you mentioned, I, I have a really diverse circle. Um, and you know, I've been able to get outside of just the expat bubble um, and find you know synergy with p 
people from Somalia or, you know, just different parts of the world. Um, so I, I'd say I find my, my happiness and my joy in, in those little pockets, but um, still looking, yeah, still, still feeling Kenya out. As far as things to do in Kenya, um, and you and I, we are about the same age. Mm -hmm. I'm, I think about three years older than you, maybe. Be 49 this year. 47, so two years. Okay, yes. two years. <laughs> <laughs> She's my little big sister, okay? Um, <laughs> okay, I am finally getting into my rhythm mm. in terms of just tapping into happiness because for me, joy is something that it's just it's just a state of being mm -hmm. but happiness is really dependent upon what's happening externally right but i've started taking dance classes here which mm -hmm. is something that i used to do in the states mm -hmm. um, i've started back skating which when i first moved here or before i moved here when i sold everything i sold my skates because I had been to Africa before and I was like, there'll be nowhere to skate. Right, and right. I'm, I, you know, I'm an outdoor, you know, rollerblader. So mm -hmm. I sold the skates, but, you know, I found some place here to skate. Um, I'm going to start volunteering at a children's home. Nice, and, nice. You know, there, you know, I found a planetarium here. Mm -hmm. It's just things that um, bring me comfort. Right. There's a big party club bar culture here which I'm really like that's not my vibe right. it never really has been right. no, no. so for you how have you enjoyed yourself found things that you were interested in and also how have you established friendships because for people who are on the fence like you believe in your loved ones behind your homegirls mm -hmm. behind and your support system. Mm -hmm. And that is a hindrance for some people. So can you talk to us about that? I, it's actually interesting you mentioned joy and happiness. And when you gave examples of how you're finding your joy and happiness, um, I think that I am, I'm, I guess my husband says I'm selfless, you know, I'm, I'm I'm taking care of him. I'm taking care of my son. I've been so consumed with, you know, making sure our son is is happy and, you know, he's involved in things. And I don't think I've actually been exploring um, or giving myself a chance to really find my joy and my happiness. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm so glad that we're friends, though, because you find things and you're like, come on, girl, let's go. <laughs> And I have to, I have to do more. And sometimes, you know, my response is, "Well, I gotta take the kid to do this, and I have to do that." And um, so, I, I definitely think I, I, there's space here for me to do it. I just need to release and, and allow myself to, to you know, find that joy. I'm in awe of how you have fostered, like, found, and then fostered these relationships. How did you do that? Mm -hmm. Just talking to people. Would you describe yourself as an introvert or extrovert? I think I'm an introvert. I, I, I yeah. tend to be really shy, <laughs> but when you ask about how I'm meeting people, I don't yeah. somehow I I don't know. I have these moments when I just 
You have a whole crew in your building. I know, <laughs> I know. know. I don't really talk to nobody. <laughs> you know, that, that could be part of the problem. That leads me to the next topic, which is employment mm. in Kenya, because I think we both had our bouts where we have looked for employment. Mm -hmm. You and Rashawn moved here and she gave with without jobs right without contracts unlike most expats mm -hmm. same here mm -hmm. and you know you get to a, a point as an entrepreneur where you like oh a steady paycheck would be nice absolutely. you know what i mean absolutely um so i'd like to discuss what it's been like for you seeking employment here uh perhaps launching a business here and I know that we've talked about you launching a repatriation house mm -hmm. for people who are interested in, like, they just need a soft landing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, finding, um, definitely, many expats come. Some come, as you said, with a job, you know, mm -hmm. they have a, a, a place to land and they can just go from there. Um, and then there are others, you know, like us who are entrepreneurs who are coming to build something. Um, and so, you know, we did have, we do have our e-commerce business, um, but a lot of the work that we want to do, um, my husband's in finance, so he's working with a new investment fund um, just to bring capital to support businesses here. Um, a Kenyan investment fund. Yes. Nice. investment fund. Um, and then my background is in hospitality. Um, so I've had this uh, this hospitality brand um, in mind for quite a few years. You know, I've worked in different facets of the industry, um, but I've always, you know, wanted to just kind of cultivate something on my own. There's a, a movement right now, you know, people are, are realizing that I've don't need to stay in this particular country, you know, all my life. Like, there are other options. There aren't any spaces where we can come, even as travelers. So this repatriation house um, slash hotel resort mm. um, is for the diaspora, is for, you know, it's for the black traveler, it's for the, the digital marketer, you know, the digital nomad. Um, it's for our retirees that are, you know, looking to, to move, um, families, whomever. Um, but just a space that feels like, feels familiar. Mm. Um, you know, and that's not just an aesthetic, um, but just a space that's gonna cater to you, um, that's gonna cater to your traumas, whether that's through special classes and services. Um, that we offer, um, but just a, a beautiful space where we can just come together, support one another, um, enjoy a bit of luxury as well, you yeah. know, a bit of just a place of uh, respite, just to really feel whole, you know, even if it's just for a week, you know, or I'd even love to have, uh, you know, long-term stays for people who yeah. are considering repatriating and they, you know, they have two months to give, and you know I can go for two months, and I just want to feel it, test it out, see what it's like. So having a space to support folks. 
That is so much needed. Yeah, and I, I don't love see that it. idea. I love that idea. And realistically speaking, when do you think you will launch this product? Oh, you know, so I'm I'm really putting in the work now to develop this brand. Um, and then my husband being the guy that he is, um, you know, he's all about the finance and the, mm -hmm. and the investment. So he's he's been doing a lot of work, um, you know, on my behalf, just trying to talk with the different investors. And, um, you know, we'll be taking trips to the coast is kind of where I would love to start. Amen, amen, um, yes. So we're, this year is going to be really big. I think, you know, we're, we're putting in the work. Um, okay. I don't know the exact date, but we're working on it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of intention there. And my intention is there, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you mentioned it to me a long time ago, and it's stuck with me. So whenever I meet someone who seems to be moving in that vein, I will mention you. Mm -hmm. And I love what Rashawn said. He's like, I'm trying to work for you. Right, right. I'm trying to work for my wife. You know what I'm saying? Goals, yes. relationship goals. Okay. Now, what has it been like trying to find work here? I don't, mm. I don't do work for anyone here. Right. Actually, I booked a modeling gig here. Mm -hmm. Um other than that, I haven't done any work in Kenya, right. only because I like making an American salary. So my clients are in the States, but you and I have both had bouts where we like, okay, let's see what's available right. here. Right. And I haven't found, I haven't even been called for anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the same, you know, having that consistent check would, would be nice. And I've had moments where... You know, the business is slowed down, especially with COVID, um, our online business. Um, and so I have, I've, I've, I've spent plenty of months looking and applying. Um, and obviously, given my background in hospitality, which is taking a huge hit right now, there's just not an abundance of, of, of work available. Um, so I've done some networking, you know, um, within the industry and it's just it's a slow period so you know it's it really feels like this is a time to to put more energy into my idea into my business that's it um so that's what i'm you know trying to focus on but you know there have been moments yeah you know i'll, I'll work i'll teach some english online i'll do you know whatever you have to hustle a little bit but um i think that's where the universe is pushing me just yeah focus on on your brand that's big facts. I mean, we were both, I mean, I was also teaching online. I think I told you mm -hmm. about the company. <laughs> the way it was working out, I was like, ooh, this $5 an hour is the way it was working out. And yeah, because I didn't really have a lot of consistent um, students. students. And you get paid based on, you know, not you just sitting there waiting for someone to call you, but when you actually are teaching right and i wasn't very consistent so i would just hop on the app mm -hmm. when i needed a little extra right right so right. i didn't really feel <laughs> you know i had a few people but it was fun mm -hmm. to a certain degree but i was like i could really be using these hours right. in a more productive way mm -hmm. Now, we talked about a lot, but we haven't talked about 
wifing. Mm. Wifing away from your social network. Mm. All the people that was at the wedding that said they was going to hold y'all accountable, right. they are not here. They are not here. And right. you have wifed in China. Mm -hmm. You have, or you are currently wifing in Kenya. Right. Are there any particular challenges with that? Um, I would say when we moved, when we first moved to China, um, just culturally, there are some differences that you have to adjust to. Um, and it was a challenge for me initially. Um, you know, my husband is teaching business English. Um, so most of his students are, you know, CEOs of big companies, doctors, professionals. Um, many of them are men. Um, and they, you know, they took to him as, as most people do, you know, and it's just like, oh, after class, let's go have a drink. Let's have tea. Let's, you know, so he was being invited to, you know, all these social events. Um, but culturally, it just, it, you know, I was accustomed to, you know, well, we'll bring in our wives, you know, we're, we'll do things together. Yes. And that wasn't <laughs> happening, you yes. know, and I'm like, okay, oh, it's just the guys. Okay, it's just the guys again. Um, and on a few, you know, a few occurrences, you know, we may go to dinner and it's, we'll have dinner, but then the guys want to step off. You know, and it, um, so it was, it was an adjustment. I definitely had moments of insecurity, you know, um, and not having, you know, my tribe of, of friends and other couples that, you know, we would normally spend time with. It was a challenge. Um, here in Kenya, we've kind of been a, in a little bubble. Um, as you know, there's a lot of single people here. We had it. We haven't really had a chance to meet a ton of families. Yeah. So that's something we've been more recently trying to be more intentional about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with Don't then, leave me out. Auntie T can no, still come. No. <laughs> I can still come to the dinner party. We have this conversation all the time. Like we need to we need to hang out with more couples. We need to That's you know, important. We need to really when have you're that support. Mm -hmm. Um and so just last night we went out with a couple. Okay. There's a new family here. Um, and they suggested a movie date, and it was fun, you know. Was it African-American family? It was. Okay. It was. Um, but even with, actually, the homeschool group that our son is now a part of, um, they're, it's, they're all families. Like, you know, it's mom, dad, kids. Um, International families? Um, predominantly um, Kenyan, I think, for... Um, Rashawn, he's meeting a lot of men, you know, a lot of men in the expat bubble are single. Right. And so when they hang out, it's a, you know, it's, let's go to the bar. They hunt. Do the, they hunt, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so it's different, you know. Um, whereas when I go out with you, you're not hunting. You know, it's not my single girlfriend. I'm not hunting, but I'm, I am like. <laughs> no. I'm not that thirsty. I have been, but I'm not, I'm not there right now. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed almost immediately when I started going out in East Africa, particularly Kampala, mm -hmm. is that these clubs and these bars were predominantly male spaces 
there would be a sprinkle of women. Mm -hmm. But unlike what I think we're both used to in the States, where couples party together, whether you're married or not. Right, and I right. think this, this is probably changing in Uganda. Mm -hmm. But initially, men go out by themselves and they stay at home. Right. But my married life in the States was we partied hard together. My girls knew him mm -hmm. very well. Um, I knew his friends very well. And I think that's just the expectation. Like if your partner is going out too much without you, right. that could be perceived as a problem. Right, problematic, right, right. And of course we have like our girls night, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Where you tell your partner, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right, fair. Right. And you know, your partner, will he'll have his guys night. Mm -hmm. And but he's coming home at a reasonable hour. Right. We all coming home at a reasonable hour. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the bulk of the time, you know, we're we're spending together. We spend with other couples or, you know, hanging out. Um, yeah, so that that is different and it's something that we've definitely noticed. Um, and we crave it, you know, we really desire to to have more time, you know, with other couples. Because um, we, you know, we love being together. We, you know, I, it's rare that my husband goes out. Like, I, sometimes I have to push him, go, go, you know, hang out with your buddies. I need my um, space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I need my space. Um, but he's like, I'd rather be home with you. You know, but he, he has his moments when he goes out. But we definitely recognize the the void, you know, of just like, where are these couples? Where, you know, we can do things together. Um, like we used to so that that is something in terms of wifing here you know wanting more of that wanting more of uh, couple time and time with other couples and that's yeah. definitely something to consider too if you are particularly a wife to a man mm -hmm. and you're moving to a very historically patriarchal society mm -hmm. your man goes out your man's going to be out with other single men right. and women who are looking to get shows right that's right. essentially what it is mm -hmm. and i mean you also depending on the culture um you know i used to tease my husband all the time it's like oh you're exotic here in china you know like <laughs> getting all the attention right you know and so that that's a whole nother thing that comes into play is you know women are you know interested in foreign men and so there's a lot more attention that they might not necessarily get you know back at home um so managing that um yeah and then too i mean we kind of touched on it but you've got all of these expat women Mm -hmm. who, you know, American women, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. African-American women in particular, right, in China where dating for black women in China is can be very challenging, to yeah. say the least. And also here in Kenya, mm -hmm. you know, where I'm, the more I talk to expat women, particularly black American women, they really not interested in dating Kenyan men. Right. So then you see this brother come along who's attractive. My brother Rashawn is is a good looking man, mm -hmm. um, but he's married. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And if he wasn't 
the type of man that he is, if he wasn't committed to you and his family the way that he is, that could pose a problem. Mm -hmm. Because we do a lot of outings together and y'all are typically, maybe you or one other couple are typically the only couples the only at couple. the table. Right. I'm full of <laughs> some people who are potentially <laughs> thirsty. So, <laughs> girl, I just... And I've heard stories. There, are, there are, are, you know, some families that have um, unfortunately broken up. You know, once they've gotten here, and that that pressure. <laughs> what I recall mm -hmm. about married life is that when you have these issues, or even like these little schisms in navigating married life, or I'm sorry, living in the same space, mm -hmm. I remember feeling like isolated like I was the only one am I the only one experiencing this mm -hmm. and then when you go out with another couple it can be interesting because people do have their representatives out and nobody mm -hmm. wants to just put out on the table like this is what we've been right. going through right. but then you find out in that banter oh they got the same issues mm -hmm. you know it's just two individuals navigating space and time together mm -hmm. And that is comforting. Mm -hmm. You do you do need that. Um, I'm a what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna rent a man, and then I'm gonna come to these couple events, <laughs> <laughs> and we gonna pretend like <laughs> we gonna pretend like we bonded. <laughs> but we have had in our black expat group, we have a WhatsApp group. We have had is it two? Families that have recently moved to Kenya. Yeah, there's two families within the last month that have yeah. moved here. Yeah, from Atlanta and Miami. See, mm -hmm. folks is coming. Folks is coming. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, one of the things that I want to talk about is phenotype. Mm -hmm. Typically, uh, my conversations will turn to colorism. And um, how we appear mm -hmm. really influences how other people see us. And what has been your experience here in Kenya? How do people see you? How do they interact with you? Um, so first thing that comes to mind is like in the marketplace. Um, you know, if you go to my sign market or um, just, you know, some place where there's lots of vendors um, selling their wares. Um, the, the first assumption for many people is that I am um, not Black American, um, but you know what, I, I may be Eritrean or Ethiopian. Um, and so, you know, they may start to speak to me in Arabic or... Um, wow. Uh, you know, just make that assumption that that's where I'm from. Um, I definitely, unlike my husband, I, I, I'm not able to just kind of blend in, which I think for many of us coming from, you know, from the U.S., there's, um, you know, with this desire to come to Africa, you just want to feel like you blend in with everybody. And I don't think I necessarily um, have been able to experience that. Um, I, you know, definitely kind of stand out and people will say, you know, oh, where are you from? And, um, 
And unlike from a husband, you know, maybe once he starts talking, then it's obvious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Rashawn doesn't, Rashawn doesn't have like any particular Kenyan phenotype that right. I would say, right. but the skin tone allows him to blend in right. more. I would say the same for me as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you and I talked about how they perceive you to be of Indian descent. Mm. The history of Indians in East Africa is a long one. It is. And it's a complicated mm -hmm. one. Sometimes it's problematic. Mm -hmm. Has has your experience being perceived as the other, has that had a negative impact on how you navigate being in Kenya? Um, I don't. I haven't had a lot of people ask if I'm Indian. I can sense that someone may be surprised by my friendliness or how I interact with them. But for the most part, it's it's usually I get a, a lot of people speak Arabic to me. Just, you know. Wow. Yeah. I never get that. <laughs> <laughs> I never get that, and it's interesting because when I went to Ethiopia. People thought I was from there, mm, mm -hmm. and we tend to have uh, Ethiopian immigrants in the U.S., um, also Eritrean, which mm -hmm. is the Habesha, mm -hmm. of particular tribes, right. and so we tend to think that everybody in Ethiopia looks the same, but then when I went to Ethiopia, I was like, oh, there isn't yeah. one particular mm -hmm. phenotype, mm -hmm. and even when I was telling them, like, no, they kept trying different dialects, different languages mm -hmm. on me to see if I would catch one <laughs> speak for my family uh, we have a lot of admixtures some of us more than others and my experience has been that some of my lighter skin family members friends acquaintances do not want to make the trip to Africa don't want to make that move because they think they won't be accepted mm. they think that they will be otherized and I don't think that that would be the case. I think obviously it depends on what part of Africa you're traveling to. Right. West Africa for sure. Mm -hmm. The people tend tend to be darker. And I I don't know what they're doing now, but back when I was in school, they was was telling light skinned black folks like you were not black, <laughs> like just telling them to their face. Right. But this show is about <laughs> encouraging people to return home. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can find your home here. Mm, it, it may not be in Kenya, mm -hmm. but there are 54 countries mm -hmm. in Africa. You got places like Seychelles, mm -hmm. Comoros, mm -hmm. Angola. Um, there's so many countries where you find people who have more European or uh, Arabic or Indian admixture where you just might blend in if that is a concern right for you. that's a concern which I, I agree with you I don't think it should be um, obviously you know we've all been affected by colorism you know in the states here um, everywhere um, but I would definitely encourage um, 
So what I would say that don't let that be a hindrance. Especially in the cities and you know our perception of African beauty, particularly in the US is the Dinka, like the South Sudanese, these mm -hmm. really tall people, uh, really dark, thin people. Mm -hmm. And there's so much variety or variation mm -hmm. within the group. Mm -hmm. I, I think I remember an anthropologist saying that there's more diversity within Africa than there is outside mm -hmm. of Africa. And you and I have talked about whether or not Kenya is mm. going to be your last stop, like right. your final home. <laughs> and that leads us back to our joy and our happiness. Right. I, I don't know what the future holds, but I, I shipped all my stuff here from the States. And I, this is the first time I've actually lived in a place with my own furniture. Okay. Um, so for me right now, Kenya is home, mm -hmm. you know, for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. What about you? I am still figuring it out. You know, we're not quite at that place yet where we have our own furniture. We're really settled in. Um, we love Kenya. We certainly do. We're, we're still exploring and enjoying learning more about the country. Um, I, I think, I don't know if it's just the, the wanderlust in me that, you know, desires to continue traveling. Like, there's just so much, you know, it's my first African country. There's so yes. much more to see and experience. So I think it's a little premature for me to say, and Rashawn too, I think we've talked about this, you know, that Kenya is it. Like, this is where we're putting down roots. Um but I will say I would love to definitely spend most of my time here hmm. and then maybe travel or have another home, you know, in another country. Um, but I do love Kenya. I do. What would you need? What would you need in order for Kenya to be your forever home? Like, mm -hmm. this is going to be my home base. We'll travel out, but this will be my home base. What would you need? Wow. just to, to find my tribe you know for that tribe to kind of expand also you know if I'm able to to do the work that I want to do here um you know if I'm able to fulfill that dream then I think it would really feel like home I think that's a big piece yeah mm -hmm. I mean I think what you have a tribe I, I do I do I got you Evelyn <laughs> there's so it. many people I do. I have quite a few. But I, I will say that for years, that was one of the things I missed the most about mm. not being in the States mm. is not being around my girls mm -hmm. and, you know, communicating through various social media mm -hmm. apps. That ain't enough. It's, it's not. You can, I do uh, WhatsApp calls for two hours. We sit and laugh and talk, but it's like, Oh, it's not the same. I wish we were together. Yeah. But then you got people who are not interested in coming or it's not a priority. You know, mm -hmm. that $4,000 that they're going to spend here, they can be used elsewhere. Right. And so right. at the end of the day, you have to rebuild or you have to build a social circle, mm -hmm. social network. Mm -hmm. You do. You do. And it, it's, 
sometimes it is disappointing for me. I, you know, I wish that more friends and family would be interested <laughs> in visiting. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand it, but I, it's, you know, it's just like, come on, just come, just, you know, you'll love it. I promise you, you'll love it. Well, I think we have covered mm -hmm. everything. Mothering, wifing, mm -hmm. employment, happiness, all of that. So much. Good stuff. <laughs> Joy. Perception. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Laxit to Africa. Mm -hmm. I hope that you have been inspired, informed, and empowered to Laxit to Africa. Come on this way. Come on. <laughs>